following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Thank you, Denny. Good morning, church. My name is Jordan, and we're so happy that you could be here with us this morning. If you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the book of Psalms today, and we are looking at a famous passage of Scripture, Psalm chapter 23. Uh, Every fifth Sunday is Family Sunday, and on the fifth Sundays, we give uh, usually a message from the Psalms. I usually say the same thing as an introduction, and I thought as we were getting ready to study Psalm 23, should I give you the same introduction? And I said, yeah, because you probably didn't hear it really clearly with the littles in the service. So, what is the book of Psalms, and why do we study the book of Psalms? Well, Psalms is a collection of lyrical poems, and they're going to be organized into five different books. You have... uh, the Psalms are originally called collections, but they're originally called the Telium. The Telium means praise psalms. So what we have here in Hebrew is lyrical poems that are put to music that were used in temple or corporate worship. Now, some people have asked, well, why don't we sing the Psalms anymore? Well, the lyrics transferred over generation to generation, but we don't have the music. So that's part of it. <laughs> but we still have the text. If you look at the Psalms, you'll see some of the Psalms give their author. So you have Moses, and you have David, you have Asaph, and Solomon. But other Psalms are anonymous. Psalms were written as far back as Moses' time, all the way to the time of David. So you have essentially a book that spans a thousand plus years in your hand. Psalms is a vital biblical book. It not only serves as an ancient hymnal of God's people, but each psalm demonstrates how to express your emotion to God. We are emotional beings. We like to express our emotions. Sometimes those emotions are expressed in improper ways. And Psalm says, let me take your emotions and let me show you how to worship God with those emotions. It's essentially like opening up a journal and seeing some of the things that God has given to us in our day. It's the Psalms we learn how to adore the Lord, give Him thanks, gleam wisdom. Psalms is all about how to live a continual, consistent life of worship. Somebody asked me just a few days ago, they said, if you could give your church, and it's not my church, it's Jesus' church, so I had to correct them on that. He said, if you could give your church a gift... Or ask from your church what they could give you as the pastor, what would you say? I said, that's easy. I would ask that they be consistent in their walk with Christ. Consistency is what Psalms is all about. How are we consistent in our relationship with the Lord? How do we praise Him for who He is, for what He's done? It screams of how great our God is, affirms His faithfulness, And reminds us the importance of staying grounded in his word. As society continues to deteriorate and become distracted, what is our response? 
to get grounded in God's Word. Now, Psalm 23 is perhaps the most famous passage of Scripture, and John 3.16 would probably give it a run for its money, but that's a verse. So we're going to say this is the most famous chapter. It is quoted and memorized, and the crazy thing is, it's not just quoted and memorized by believers, non-believers can quote this too as well. There's themes in Psalm 23 about God being comforting and reassuring and provision. And it's amazing, there's so many people who recite this passage of Scripture at funerals. One commentator says, we should stop reciting the 23rd Psalm at funerals, and we should start reciting it to those of us who are alive. It is a Psalm that is to be impressed upon the living. It is for the living. For the living find comfort in the 23rd Psalms. If you look at uh, the very top, it says it is a psalm of David. That's King David. King David is uh, or was a shepherd, and he knows a lot about shepherding, but he's also a king. So when we talk about the 23rd Psalm, we're going to talk about the relationship of an individual with a shepherd hyphen king, the shepherd king. And David writes this psalm near the end of his life. So his life is almost over. And he tells of all the benefits and the blessings that God gives in the various seasons of life. If anything, if you could summarize Psalm 23, David would essentially say, this is how you have peace with God. This is how I know that God is the God of peace. This is how I know his love is persistent. This is how I know his protection is real. This is how I know he wants a relationship with us. Because in the 23rd Psalm, we see the five needs that the Lord provides. Five needs that the Lord provides, all of which give us peace. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul, period. Let's pause there. First need that is met by our Lord is our spiritual need. In the very first verse, David uses a metaphor to describe the Lord. Now, every time you see the word Lord in the Bible, all capitalized, L-O-R-D, that is the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the Hebrew word for the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps all of his promises. That's all I'm going to say about this, and I'm going to tease you a little bit because when we get to Genesis, we're going to talk about Yahweh a lot. And so we'll unpack that a little bit more in January. But David says, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is my shepherd. Now, if you want to, you can underline the word shepherd. That is the word raha in Hebrew, which means to shepherd. So it's actually an active word. In other words, what David says is, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, he sees, he perceives, and he understands. He's not dead. He's very much alive. So by himself, David says, I'm incomplete, but with the Lord as my shepherd, I don't want or lack anything. I have no need, spiritually wise, that has not gone unchecked. The Lord provides two blessings, David says. The first one is in the first part of the second verse. He provides spiritual nourishment. A good shepherd leads the sheep to fresh grass. Now, here's the crazy thing. Shepherding is not real common in today's society, correct? 
Like, you don't go and talk to somebody and say, hey, my name's Jordan. Oh, I'm Jack. Jack, what do you do for a living? Very rarely will you talk to somebody that says, I'm a shepherd. And if you do, you might not be in Bremen or the surrounding towns. However, they do exist. They're just in pocket places. And David is a shepherd, and he's calling God the shepherd, and he's saying that a good shepherd leads the sheep to fresh grass for feeding. And that's part of the reason we don't have shepherds is because there's not a lot of whole, a lot of grass to graze upon. And the crazy thing is, in our world, we wonder if there's anything for us to graze upon. And David says, yes, it's all in the text. Anyone who follows the Lord doesn't lack any spiritual nourishment because he's given everything that you need according to his word. Biblical shepherds that are talked about in Acts 20 as well as 1 Peter chapter 5 were expected to feed the flock, and that's what God does. He feeds you. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, could you shepherd your flock without the Bible? I said, no. There's no way. And if you find yourself in a place where people are doing Bible studies or having Christian services without the Word of God being central right underneath the foot of the cross, you're in the wrong place. God's blessing to us is spiritual nourishment through His Word. It has been preserved from generation to generation to generation. It is sola scriptura, the Word of God. Two, because we have the Word of God... We have spiritual restoration. A good shepherd leads his sheep to calm waters for rest and for cleaning. The Lord does the same with our soul. This is why we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The old is gone, the new has come. We are rejuvenated underneath the blood of Christ. Now, the metaphor of a shepherd king is common in the ancient Near East. Many kings, actually, not just here in the text, compared themselves to shepherds in regards to their leadership. Some people would look at you and say, well, he's a good shepherd. He's a bad shepherd. He's, he's a good leader. He's a bad leader. But the prophets said the coming Messiah would be a good shepherd in Isaiah chapter 40. And Jesus identified himself as that in John chapter 10, verse 14, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, all say that he is a good shepherd, one that the sheep want to be around. Christ, our great shepherd, meets our greatest spiritual need when we place our faith and trust in him and him alone. He is our only shepherd. To find true spiritual needs met under the cross of Christ means that we give him our all. Following Christ leads to spiritual nourishment, restoration, once in justification of sins, then again and again and again in being sanctified and set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He feeds our soul with his word and he forgives and gives peace to those who come to him in faith. The question on the table is, have you come to faith in Christ? And had your greatest spiritual need met, the forgiveness of sins. David continues in verse 3. He says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Thank the Lord, he is our GPS. He tells us exactly where we need to go. He solves our directional needs. Well, sheep followed their shepherd in well-worn paths, they'd occasionally stray from the safe path and become lost. <laughs> a couple weeks ago at the Holy Walk, we had a couple sheep, and I got a chance to talk to a couple shepherds. 
And I looked at them and I said, hey, are sheep smart or dumb? They said, they're the stupidest animal on planet Earth. And they proved it because the sheep did not want to walk to the pen. And I looked at it and I said, Lord, how many times am I like that? Sheep have a tendency to wander. And the shepherd would leave the rest of the sheep, now get this for a second, in the custody of helpers and go searching for the lost sheep when they wandered to get them back into the fold. There are only two paths in this life. One path leads to destruction for those who wander. And the other path leads to righteousness. That's what David talks about here. The word righteousness there means right behavior and living underneath God's will according to what is outlined in his word. Now, in Luke chapter 15, verse 3 through 7, Jesus tells a fantastic parable. He loves telling stories, and Jesus tells this story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but one went astray. And he searched for it until he found it. And what people say there is, they're like, see, Jesus goes after the lost. He does, but he also leaves the sheep into entrusted hands. He takes the sheep, puts them under care, goes and finds, and then brings back. Now, it's believed in Luke chapter 15, verse 3, that Jesus doesn't just go and get the sheep, but Jesus puts the sheep on his back and walks the sheep because the sheep sometimes will stubbornly not go back to the fold. He summons all of his friends and his neighbors to celebrate its recovery with him. The good shepherd leads us to the paths of righteousness, right living, all outlined in his word. And while at times we may wander from the path, if you ever wander, say amen. Amen. I'm glad I'm in good company here. He searches out until he finds us and he restores us and he points us back in the right direction through his word. There are so many people in our congregation and in congregations gathering all across the earth today who say, I just wish I knew where God was wanting me to go. And I say, your Bible is dusty for a reason. And that is why your directions are not clear. We have to open up the word. We have to look at it. We have to say, this is where God wants me to go. Now, his word is one, but prayer is another. Fellowship with other believers is another one. God reveals our directional needs through his people, through times where we spend with him. God will always tell us where we want to go. Now, here's the important part if we listen to him through the proper channels. He takes care of our directional needs. We have to make sure that we're listening to the proper channels, his word, prayer, fellowship with other believers in order to know where we should go. I love the proverb that says, in the counsel of many, there is much wisdom. And that's exactly what David is saying. He's saying, not only has the Lord taken care of my spiritual needs, he's surrounded me around people who tell me exactly what I need to know, and he affirms it through his word. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff provide comfort for me. He takes care of our spiritual needs, our directional needs, and then he takes care of our emotional needs. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he speaks into my emotions. David walked through so many seasons in his life. And often through valleys. Now, that word valley is a really interesting word in the text. That's a land between two hills or mountains, but it's a symbol 
for the dark seasons or rough days in David's life. The Hebrew word for shadow of death is all one word. It's not three. And it means darkness or dark days. It contains the exact same root word for the Hebrew word death, which is why some Bible translators mention death in the verse. But essentially what David is saying is, he's saying, I can walk through any season of my life without fear. And the word fear there in Hebrew is the word yar, which means dread. And he says, I can do that because the Lord walks with me. Now, it's interesting that the valley of the shadow of death is the dark days. And David would say to us, the dark days are the days in which I was drawn nearer to my relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, we never get in the text. David says, you know, on the good days, God and I were just doing really, really great. He says, no, it comes in the dark days. Now, this is where kind of like uh, the masculine um, mindset kind of uh, really takes focus for me. Because the Lord didn't just walk with David. He also had weapons. Not like that. He carries two weapons. He carries a rod and he carries a staff. And a shepherd, Bible times, carried a rod and a staff for a couple reasons. The rod was called a krugel. It's like the short, thick, heavy stick. It was similar to what uh, a police officer carried back in the day with batons, right? The Lord carries a baton. And this is worn in his belt. It's kind of this short little uh, stick that he beats off people with. Isn't that fun? That's, That's fun. And then the staff is this long, lightweight pole with a curved end or a crook on the end. And the shepherd took that staff, and essentially he would flip it over, and he would move the sheep with it. He would count the sheep. He would examine the sheep at night when they returned to the fold. Now, here's the crazy thing. Both weapons that protected the sheep gave David assurance to trust in the Lord to protect him. Jesus, our good shepherd, is always with us, and the Bible tells us he fights for us. He promised to be with us. He promised to walk over rough ground and beside still waters. Jesus actually says in John chapter 10, verse 28, in the text, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They're mine. These are my sheep. If the Lord is our protector, you do not have to be afraid. If you have sickness in your life, you do not have to be afraid. If you have family members in your life that are causing strife, you do not have to be afraid. If you have relationships that are going south, you do not have to be afraid. If you have financial difficulties, you do not have to be afraid. What you have to do is depend on the Lord. Read his word, spend time in prayer, fellowship with the saints, and do your part. Oftentimes we are asking God for a handout when God looks at us and he says, I want you to walk. Walk is an action. Perhaps that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians, we walk with the Lord. In other words, he walks and you walk. You walk together. So here, the Lord is our protector. We do not have to be afraid. He calms our nerves. He takes care of emotional needs. Sheep overcome their fear when they trust their shepherd. I would ask you the question today, do you trust your shepherd? And if you don't, maybe that's why you're afraid. I told Jesus 17 times last week, I trust you, the good shepherd. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I like this. God's feeding David with his enemies around him. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is all physical needs. Spiritual need met, directional need met, emotional need met, physical need met. 
In a relationship with God, David viewed himself as the Lord's honored guest who prepared a table full of food before him. And David's enemies were present, and they looked at his relationship with God, and they were jealous of that relationship. And they looked upon that relationship, but they could not harm him due to God's protection. David furthers the image, and he talks about him anointing his head with oil. As you have relatives over this year, would you do me a favor? Would you get some vegetable oil out, and as they come into your house, just pour it on their head? And they look at you, and they go, what are you doing? You're like, you know what? God does it for me. I wanted to do it for you. Let me know how that works out. I don't know why, but they used to do this back in the New Testament. They would actually take oil and pour it on somebody's head who, come to, who came into their house. And they would feed them willingly. Can you imagine sitting and eating at somebody's home, dripping oil, eating chicken wings? I can't imagine. But Thanksgiving next year is going to be glorious. <laughs> David also says, my cup, which is a lot in life. In other words, everything that he had was abundant blessing from God and it overflowed. Now, here's the crazy thing, okay? Physical needs are met. This is really interesting because in Bible times, when sheep slept, they were protected by a circular stone wall. We have this image of sheep out in like the pasture, right? But a better view of the biblical shepherd is that there was essentially a half circle of stone that the shepherd would sleep across the opening. And so the sheep would come in, and they would lay down, and then the shepherd would lay right in that opening. It was then a shepherd would treat his sheep to wounds with oil or use a large cup to give some of those thirsty sheep water. So essentially, the shepherd would sit at the opening, and he would call the sheep over one by one and check them out and make sure that they were good. So what does that mean? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus identified himself as the door to the sheepfold. And he says, as the door, when one comes in through faith, he provides for physical needs more generously than our heart can ever desire. So it's it's almost as if he says, here, you come into my fold and I'll protect you. I'll protect you physically. I'll protect you in all of these things. I will take care of you. And here... We realize that we eat because God is good. Everything we eat is from the hand of God, an abundant blessing from the Lord. This is probably the one passage of Scripture that proves you should pray before you eat. That you should thank God that he prepares a table before us and gives us the opportunity to have abundant blessings in regards to food. You give thanks for the fact that the Lord provides for physical needs. At the end of the day, we thank the Lord for physical needs needs met. Last one, verse 6. Surely, with all of these things, with our spiritual need met, directional need met, our emotional need met, physical need met, surely, he says in 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me in all of my days, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our external needs are met. If the Lord took care of David's spiritual, directional, emotional, and physical needs, then David knew everything outside of him would follow suit. God's goodness, and that word goodness there, means pleasant to the sight, taste, smell, times, places, all of those things. God's goodness and his mercy, the word there, describes God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards humanity, would be with him throughout the duration of his life. 
What David's saying here is he says, it doesn't matter if it's green pastures, still waters, valley of death. God's goodness accompanies us. And all my external needs are met as God's unfailing love is present in every step of the life of the believer. Now what's crazy is if you go all the way to Romans chapter 8 verse 38, Paul says to the church in Rome, I am convinced that nothing, now Paul knows the 23rd Psalm, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not life nor death, and he continues on. He says fears or worries or all of those things. You can look at Romans chapter 8, and you realize he's basically talking about Psalm 23. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, who meets our every needs. As believers, we can count on God's love in all of life's circumstances, all of the externals. Nothing can separate us from his unfailing love. The trial that you're in right now is there to make you more aware of the love of God. It's there to help you grow more. It's there to help you become a more sanctified believer and not a bitter Christian. If David anticipated that at the end of his life, he would enter into the house of the Lord. David is a huge sinner. Like, if there's any text that helps me to see that I am going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of faith in Jesus Christ, it's David's life, not Paul's. Paul was great at being religious. He was the king of religion. David is a man after God's own heart who loved to sin. And we realize every time that happened in his life, he went back to the Lord. David's called a man after God's own heart because he never commits the sin of idolatry. He stumbles and fumbles his way all the way to the finish line. And every time he stumbles and fumbles, he goes back and he goes, God, I need you. I need you. He never once builds an altar to anyone except his God. And the Lord walks with him and promises him a house where he can live forever. If there was an amen from David, it would be the passage where Jesus talks about, I go to prepare a place for you. The Lord takes care of all of our needs, preparing us here on earth for an eternity with him. Now, having the Lord as our shepherd, that makes our life worthwhile. I look at all these things, I look at all these needs met, and I realize, well, that gives us purpose in this life. When our journey on earth ends, we as believers enter into heaven. We live with our shepherd king forever. Not good. That's, that's great. Revelation 7, 16 through 17, promises in heaven, believers never hunger or thirst or suffer again. All of the needs are met. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 through 17 says, for the lamb, that's interesting, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the spring of living water. What did the woman need? Living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a huge promise from our shepherd king. 
The Hebrew word, I will dwell, in verse 6, conveys the idea of returning to the house of the Lord, his sanctuary, the tabernacle for the rest of our life. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, verse 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But look at the psalmist screaming through John's pen. That I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again, and I will take you to myself, because where I am, you may be also. Knowing Christ changes everything, because it gives us peace. Having spiritual needs met gives us peace. Having directional needs met gives us peace. Having emotional needs met gives us peace. Physical needs met gives us peace. External needs met gives us peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no K-N-O-W, peace. No Jesus, N-O, no N-O, peace. Do you have peace with God through faith in Christ? True, intimate, personal faith in Christ is a hope for today that meets all of our needs, every single one. And you can rest in the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to this season. We look in the manger and we behold him. The great Emmanuel, God with us. Who walked among us. Who talked to us. Who showed us what living really looks like. Who died a criminal's death. And refused to stay dead but rose on the third day and ascended to the right hand. We cling to the truth. It is for by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any person should boast. If you are here this morning, and you don't have a, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, have your spiritual need, your greatest spiritual need met. It is as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ is the Messiah and that his blood covers my sin. I place my faith and trust in him today. If you've made that decision, come and find us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have made a declaration of faith, God, first and foremost, we confess that we have tried to meet our own needs. And we have tried to do our own things. And we find ourselves in this season without peace. No shalom. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be dependent people, dependent sheep upon our shepherd king. Help us to relinquish that which we have wrapped our fingers around. Help us to realize that the reason for this season is not a gift under the tree, but it's what was placed on a cross for our behalf. And it's not just the justification of our sins, it's the fact that you want to sanctify us and set us apart as your people in the places that we populate. Help us to be like our shepherd king. And may we continue to walk with you and to trust you in all things giving you the opportunity to direct us, 
the opportunity to speak into our emotions that we're feeling, to give us the opportunity to see that our physical needs are met as well as the fact that you're preparing a place for us and that we are but a mist, just a vapor passing through. May we honor you, Lord, with all we think, say, and do as dependent sheep, trusting our shepherd. We behold you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.